Hello there, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Narsol the Lonely Monster podcast thing. Um, it's been a while, it's been a couple of months. I just noticed the last one I did was, was it two, three months ago. Uh, my apologies, I've been busy, busy scribing, busy writing, and scribbling away my book. Um, not that I'm grandiose about this sort of thing, I expect it to sell maybe two copies if I'm lucky. One will be my mum. Another one will probably be my girlfriend, so that's all great. But that's uh, it's not the point of writing it. It's been a very cathartic, um, enjoyable experience to sort of divest and reindulge myself into my previous answers, if you like, and then pull all that together to try and construct some semblance of of rationality in uh, in a few few hundred pages, I guess. Um, so yeah, welcome, welcome to the show. There's all sorts of links in the description to stuff you can also go and see and view and read, digest and learn from. I hope, um, as in as much as um, I personally learn from reading others' experiences of um, of the abuse they endured. Um, you know, one of the one of the greatest things I've picked up on along my journey is the is the strength really the strength of true survivors. Equally, I'll be honest, I've also picked up uh, from the experience and the research and the getting to know a lot of different people over the last couple of years is that there's also a great, large, huge cohort of people who are using, you know, they were ex they were abused by a narcissist as the perfect excuse for their own narcissism. Um, we all know that's out there. We, we, we'd be naive to think that isn't the case because, uh, you know, what is a narcissist other than someone that projects um, and makes up their own life stories to only cover their own their own shitty means and ways in relational dynamics. Um, I know it, you know it, and if we're honest, we 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 probably we probably tipped our hat into that path a little bit, stepped across the line, um, or at the very least, your abuser, your narcissist, would have made you think that. When in all reality, you were just reacting to probably hours of bullying and prodding and abuse. Um, but you know, there's, we got to hold ourselves accountable to our own, our own newfound high standards, if you like. What I'm saying there is after the fact of abuse, if you're, um, if you're aware that you were abused, then you should also be sort of aware of how you, um, listening to this now had your part to play in that whole dynamic. Um, so there's several cohorts and I find one of the one of one of the major differentials between all that is that the person that's um you know the the, the person that uh explores the 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 realities of narcissism but with a with a vitriolic output. So all narcs are bad, they're all idiots, they plan it, they plot it, they're aware, etc. etc. I think, you know, that's that's probably quite quite dangerous. That that's people just staying angry just for the sake of it uh is that narcissism itself i don't know but i think at a certain point um i accept actually that everyone can go through anger stages you can you have a right to be angry you were abused some some idiot took your essence took your soul so you do you do have an absolute fundamental right to be angry at that and it's one of the most important or one of the important um uh transitionary things we have to move through like the stages of grief, you know, bereavement, um, except except in most in most terms, uh, the difference being that it's not a dead person; it's just a it's just a, a dickhead that's that's abused you really. 
um, that aren't dead. So you don't get to get to that closure is what I'm getting at. Um, yeah, so there's uh, anger. Anger's good, but I, I think ultimately, um, well, my aim through my work and my book is to highlight what the narcissist is, what we are that enabled their or infused their narcissism rather, and how we sort of slow walked ourselves into the trap time and time again. Um, the point is, it has to be balanced. It has to be balanced. It has to make sense. It has to, it has to have a 50-50, uh, not necessarily 50-50, that's probably disabusing you of what you've experienced, but we, we have to at some point just sort of sit back, look at it objectively, take away the emotional optic and try, try to see our part in it. Now, the reason for that is, is essentially so that we can then actually heal. We can get to quiet forgiveness and it's called quiet forgiveness because you don't want to the last thing you want to do is go up to a narcissist and say, I forgive you. You're good. You're good to go. Because, you know, guess what? They're just going to hoover you back in with some bit of love bombing. And and if we're not quite there in strength wise, um, you could easily fall back into the back into their traps. Um, so quiet forgiveness is forgiveness for yourself first, um, for things that you can only judge about yourself and quiet forgiveness for the narcissist, but never actually telling them or just generally your abuser. If you can get to that point, um, I, I think I think you'll, you'll, you know, you could change the world if you can get to that point. I, I'm not quite there yet, I've got to be honest. Uh, here's me preaching about forgiveness and getting there and being all lovely with the narc. Not quite, but I, you know, I still hold burdens of the trauma. I still hold burdens of the trauma bond and, uh, and every now and then, rarely nowadays, but every now and then still, um, I'll have a very hot and sweaty night and it's you know, a night of a thousand terrors reliving through um, post-traumatic stress disorder the, the actual incidents um, that I personally endured. But even then at the end of it, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll be like, well, you know, I think I understand why they were like that, what traumas they may have faced in their life um, and, and how I possibly infused that narcissism with my own at the time severe codependency so it's a it's a strange journey we're on and and what i don't accept is the people that are in that they're in the journey because they are um just full of hate you see them online everywhere you know narcissists this that and the other and blah 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 just blame 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 toward the narcissist which is in itself a form of narcissism which is the irony behind all this is that those people that extol the virtues of themselves by being i am a victim first and foremost which is right but then they never see the other side of it they never they never never even try they just hate 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 hate, hate. i experienced this so i hate them that's it i'm going to hate all narcissists who are really damaged broken children themselves anyway long-winded thing over welcome to nozzle the lonely monster eight minute long introduction but now i'm going to get into um very quick subject matter and that's um the mother complex Okay, be right back after I know you've missed it. A little jingle. Okay, be right back. Okay, jingle done. So, the mother complex. And this is uh, in part, uh, I've quoted someone else, you'll see in a second, but in part, 
um, an educated guess, really, at what made my own um, narcissistic ex who who they are, who she is. Um, so often we sit and take the emotional abuse. The abuser is so adept at manipulation, and often without even knowing it in some cases, as it's actually a well-established built-in survival tool ingrained from an early age by possibly an equally unwittingly abusive mother who may or may not know that they what they did or, or did do or did not do. It's quite complicated even there so far, but in the search for answers and looking for some semblance of logic to the vitriolic attacks and the obvious prior love bombing, valuation phase, devaluation phases, discards and smear campaigns, um, led me a while back to accept that my own narcissistic ex, whilst an adult, should really be able to make fairly decent judgment calls towards right and wrong, taking responsibility just when they just simply can't. Um, my own experience, I've literally, and there's two, they literally had no understanding of any concept of things like humility, love and compassion. Or did they? I'm slowly coming to terms with the fact that um, she was how she is. When is a duck a duck, as they say? Well, she could no more understand true love as I could understand complex astrophysics. And I tried it too, just to see. I spent months reading and watching anything I could regarding astrophysics. And I can safely say, I just don't get it. This is the same when trying to explain responsibility and love to a disordered person. What they understand and know are learned behaviours since birth and can only come from a parent or parents. Granted, my own got herself into some very dicey sexual situations over the years, even at 18 being convinced by a then-husband that the right thing to do was to have sex with his friends as he enjoyed watching. Imagine that. Unloved or loved inappropriately by a mother, she escapes into marriage and the saviour of her life. The man who took her away from the off-kilter mum then encourages objectively abusive behaviours such as the sexual appetites and hard drug use such as cocaine. Where is my evidence though? Well, my own narcissistic ex spent some time, at least really every single day, to recall stories about her bad mum. Some of them made me cringe from when she was a child and look, no one's perfect, not by a long shot, but my word, when looked at objectively, reflectively and certainly parking my own experience, it makes for pretty grim and uncomfortable listening. Critically, whilst the narcissist often acknowledge what they do is wrong, and in my own example, what she didn't particularly have much scope for even a moderate relationship with her mum, she often talked in terms of normality when it came to her mum, and that often concerned me with a little instinctual nudge that all wasn't all that it seemed. Back in the day then, I did some deep research, and I found a very good article from Psychology Today and it's about toxic mothers, and moreover what the effect can be on a daughter. Interestingly, my own narcissistic ex has a younger sister, not by much younger mind, and who has uh, really a whole different set of possible issues surrounding confidence and being shy, which is really a total paradox to my narcissistic ex. But, as you'll hopefully see, the cause and effect of a toxic mum will be apparent either way. It'll make a daughter recall and be totally submissive to the whims of the mum, as in the sister, or they go the other way like my narcissistic, narcissistic ex did. Anyhow, here's my reason why. Toxic relationships affect people at every age and from every culture. Its most damaging and long-lasting effect happens in early childhood, as that's clearly the greatest period of vulnerability for any human. It's when we learn to be us and when we take all of our cues from our parents. The psychoanalytical researcher and brilliant journalist Judith Yost summed up what an attuned mother will communicate through gaze, gesture and words. You are what you are. You are what you are feeling. 
allowing us to believe in our own reality, persuading us that it is safe to expose our early fragile beginning to grow true self. An unloved daughter takes something entirely different away from the mother-daughter relationship. Unlike the daughter of an attuned mother who grows in reflected light, the unloved daughter is diminished by the connection. Dismissiveness. Daughters raised by dismissive mothers doubt the validity of their own emotional needs. They feel unworthy of attention and experience deep, gut-wrenching self-doubt, all the while feeling intense longing for love and validation. If this alone doesn't translate into why the narcissistic ex was so guarded with her emotions and honesty about said emotions, to the point where they often repeatedly exploded in her mind, and the intense feelings for longing and love could easily translate into desperation and manipulation to get the love they desire and never got as a child. Dismissive behaviour as reported by daughters uh, occurs across a spectrum and become and really can become combative if the mother actively and aggressively turns dismissal into rejection. Human offspring then are hardwired to need and seek proximity to their mothers and therein lies the problem. The daughter's need for a mother's attention and love isn't diminished by the mother's dismissal. In fact, the overriding need to be loved is often amped up in the daughter, which thrusts the daughter into an active pattern of demand to be loved. My narcissistic ex would always ask me why I didn't love her unconditionally as she did me. This dismissive behaviour from her own mum will undoubtedly change the way she saw love. Most narcissists see it as literally all or nothing. You either love me or you don't. An extremist, this can manifest in the most oddest of ways from offering to help in the garden, seen as direct criticism and resulting in a three-day fight, or wanting some space due to the abuse which resulted in more love bombing and then smear campaigns. The child then will often in these circumstances just try harder when they were younger. They'll aim for better grades, as did my own narcissistic ex. They'll aim for everything really just to impress the emotionally absent mum, which never works and often will result in the mum going to dismissive extremes, even telling the daughter that none of what she perceived happened that way. The daughter's feelings and thoughts are therefore completely nullified and silenced. This leads to acceptance of gaslighting as it's taught by the mum to be the norm. Controlling. In many ways, this is another form of the dismissive interaction, although it presents very differently. The key link is that the controlling mother doesn't acknowledge her daughter any more than the dismissive one does. These mothers micromanage their daughters, actively refuse to acknowledge the validity of their words or choices, and instill a sense of insecurity and helplessness in their offspring. Most of this behaviour is done under the guise of being for the child's own good. The message is effectively that the daughter is inadequate, cannot be trusted to exercise good judgement, and would simply flounder and fail without the mother's guidance. Many examples exist of why my own narcissistic ex's mum controlled her. The most memorable is when her father was away at work, a long-distance driver. Her mum would make two girls, the, the, the two daughters, sleep in a room and actually make them urinate in a bucket. As, she, as the mum was so scared of being alone and made damn sure that it was that, that one fact was projected onto the children. And she didn't even mask her fears, which is acceptable if fear really does exist and one doesn't want to scare a child. She clearly had no clue whatsoever what healthy was when being a mother. We get our fears from experiences and learnt behaviours from parents. I'm scared of spiders, so is my mum, and that's a very small example that we take for granted. Now imagine that scenario above. Right kids, dad's away, it's time to move into the bedroom. Don't forget the bucket. We must do this as people will get us when we're alone. We must never be alone, not ever. Being alone is very, very dangerous. Or words to that effect, but my next had huge, therefore, abandonment issues. 
which was probably the crux of all her issues and which brought the worst of her out. Interestingly, she genuinely acknowledged passing on fears. She's very scared of spiders, but would actually never show her own children. And many a time she handled some big nasty black ones, spiders that is, without even hesitating. As you'll see as I go on here, there are there is many fundamental facts that my own and yours are disordered. And there are paradigms to what they are. The she that she is, or the they that they are, the emotionally abusive side, is always more apparent and more vitriolic when they're emotionally compromised. Be that, usually, self-induced paranoia or acting to just simple perceived criticism when it isn't really criticism. Unavailability. Emotionally unavailable mothers, those who actively withdraw at a daughter's approach or who withhold love from one child while granting it to another, inflict a different kind of damage. Be mindful that all children are hardwired to rely on their mothers thanks to evolution. These behaviours can include lack of physical contact, no hugging, no comforting, unresponsiveness to a child's cries or displays of emotion, and their articulated needs as they get older, and of course, literal abandonment, which leaves its own special scars especially in a culture which believes in the automatic nature of motherly love and instinctual behaviour. In addition to being excruciating, excruciatingly painful, it is also rather bewildering. All of these behaviours then will leave daughters emotionally hungry and sometimes desperately needy. The luckiest daughters will find another family member, perhaps a father, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle, to step into the emotional breach, which helps but really doesn't heal, as many don't. These insecurely attached daughters often become clingy in adult relationships, needing constant reassurance from friends and lovers alike. Equally realistically, if a mother is a true narcissist, the chances are that her husband is a codependent echoist pleaser, which was precisely the case with my own narcissistic ex. As the narcissist mother laughed at her small children or was dismissive, the father stepped into the breach with the complete opposite of the spectrum of making up for the mum perhaps with overburdened love. When a narcissist has the tantrums, they might just be expecting a cuddle. <laughs> if that isn't self-explanatory as to what makes a narcissist, then I don't know what is. I've seen it with my own eyes. The, the adult daughter upset, the next offering support, but actually less than the sort of support I'd offer my friend if his dog had died. No hugging from her, no comforting words, just almost robotic, sometimes helpful advice. I've also then witnessed her paradoxically make things far worse with her own daughter and yet nurture and completely smother her 10-year-old son to the point that she still has to wipe his ass when he poops. And he's fine anywhere else. At his father's, it's okay. School, it was okay. Grandparents, fine. Trips out, totally fine. Not really messy for a boy, but at home, mum, the narcissistic ex, just has to wipe it for him. So a daughter can get a meaningful hug when required, or sorry, rather can't get a meaningful hug when required, but the boy child has the earth and beyond. She would argue that she's completely available. I helped her. Uh, no you didn't. You told her how to live. You gave sound advice actually, but you never once gave her a mother cuddle. Enmeshment. While the first two types of behaviours describe mothers who distance themselves from their children, enmeshment is the opposite. These mothers do not acknowledge any kind of boundary between them, their definition of self and their children. In this case, the daughter's need for love and attention facilitates a maternal chokehold, exploiting human nature in the service of another goal. These women are classic stage mothers and live through their children's achievements which they both demand and encourage. While they have a long history, um, the mothers of people like Gypsy Rose Lee, Judy Garland and Francis Farmer come immediately to mind. They now have a special renown and no shame thanks to reality television. 
Vivian Gornick's memoir, Fierce Attachment, should be required reading for any daughter who grew up with a mother like this. And if you're listening to this, get that book, Vivian Gornick, Fierce Attachments. So while the daughter of a dismissive or unavailable mother disappears because of inattention and underparenting, the enmeshed daughter's sense of self is just simply swallowed whole. Untangling enmeshment, the term alone conveys the difficulty, is another road entirely because of the absence of boundaries. A healthy and attuned maternal relationship offers security and freedom to roam at once. The infant is released from a mother's arms to crawl, the adolescent counseled but listened to and respected, and this pattern does not. That's all missing in the enmeshed relationship. The enmeshment of a daughter by a toxic mum absolutely breeds a distinct lack of boundaries in the narcissist. My own narcissistic ex knew no boundaries whatsoever, a fact, a fact which became entirely apparent in the smear campaign and discard. I think that's enough said, really. And there we go. It's a long, old, winded whine, if you like, about the mother complex. A whine? It might have been useful. Um, I'd highly recommend, if you're listening to this and you... Um, the, 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 the point I'm saying this is because if you're a woman listening to this and you've grown up surrounded by narcissism or you've been abused by a narcissist, you need to go back to your own childhood. You need to figure out what links them. What links your abuse now to how you are or how you were and how you were brought up as a child? Invariably, there's something there. There's something there. It's not It's not that you're just dim-witted and you just keep falling into the hands of an abuser. It's just that some part of you actually craves that abuse. You you seek it because you're trying to be validated. You're, you're, you're giving and in your giving, you, you, you feel love back because you're giving so much. But... As we know with a narcissist, that's uh, that's not endurable because they always take and you always give and then one of you will burn out. And I can guarantee it's you that's listening to this that burns out, clearly. That's why you're here. So do do it. Do do. Do go into yourself. Go into a deep dive. Go into your own past. Go into your childhood, more importantly. Forget the relationships. Forget the douchey boyfriends or douchey girlfriends. And the same, really, you can transmute this across to boys and their fathers or even boys and their mothers. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a connective tissue there between how you were became to, came to be abused and how you were shaped and moulded and what your understanding of love was when you were a child. And I'm telling you now to go there, to be able to do that without fear, without fear of repercussions, because it's only you that's judging yourself, it will be distressing. It will be hard work. It will be challenging. But I'm telling you, it will be worth it. You've got to go there. You've got to do it. You've got to try and see if you, you alone, can connect those dots. And um, and that, I think, will lead somewhat towards pretty cool healing, uh, cathartic releases, rebirth, soul growth, understanding, balance and harmony. Well, I hope that helped in some small way. If it didn't, no worries. Move on. Go and find someone that does help. And I mean that with love because, you know, I might not resonate with you if you're listening to this. If you picked it up and you're a first time listener, I might not. But if I do, then continue the journey uh, with me. Have a consider about my book when it comes out finally and uh, delve into my answers on Quora. And my other podcast is probably 30, 40 or so of them now in the in the library. Um, yeah, and it might it might help you somehow. Um, my whole ethos is to really to not try to not tell you how to think 
how to believe and, and that I'm just trying to give you the guide that you can you can take forward into your new reality. And as I'm saying that, a beautiful robin has just landed right by me. Yeah, I'm just gonna take a moment. Wow. I got a thing for robins, they remind me of my nana. <laughs> Hello. There we go. Right, so that's it. That's my latest podcast. If you like it, consider listening to more. Um, and if it resonates and helps, do consider do consider looking at my book. It'll be available by Christmas. There we go. Right, take it easy. Miss you guys. Speak soon. Ciao, ciao, ciao.